Everyone, thanks for tuning in to episode 11 of the WooCast. Today we're going to be talking with Rob Jones, and Rob is a guy with a long list of accomplishments. He's run a 10K in 1820, thereabouts. He's rode his bike 5,000 plus miles across the country and in the process raised over $100,000 for various veteran charities. He starred, he was one of the subjects of a documentary uh, st- with uh, Louis. Louis Black, Zach Galifianakis, Bob Saget, um, BJ Novak from The Office. Um, and he did all of this without the use of his legs. He lost both of his legs uh, above the knee while serving his country in Afghanistan. So Rob is a, a highly motivated individual. Uh, he's turned what would could have been a potentially... Uh, very negative event into a positive event in his life. And, you know, he's just somebody that I have a ton of respect for. I'm lucky enough to, to know Rob and, and to be able to train with him here in Salt Lake City. And uh, he's a, you know, a really well-spoken guy, very intelligent and, uh, you know, a great story. So without further ado, let's, uh, let's bring Rob on and hear what he has to say. This is the WooCar Podcast, dedicated to helping you kick ass in mind, body, and business. And now your hosts, Art O'Connor and Steve Mathis. Hey there, WooCar Nation. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the WooCast. I have on the line uh, with me my friend Rob Jones, who I've gotten to know through uh, training at Jim Jones. Uh, Rob is no relation to Jim Jones, who is not an actual person. But <laughs> but um, Rob is uh, Rob's a badass, and you know, for lack of a better word, <laughs> he's uh, well. I'll, I'll let Rob kind of tell tell in his own words what he what he's up to and. Um, so Rob, um, say hi to everybody. <laughs> uh, hello, listeners. Uh, yeah, the long and short of it uh, for me. Uh, joined the Marine Corps in 2006. Uh, did a couple deployments: one to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. Got uh, wounded by a landmine in Afghanistan. Uh, had to chop both my legs off above the knee. And uh, since then, it's kind of recovered. And then I uh, went on to. Uh, competed in the Paralympics in rowing, got a bronze medal in uh, 2012. Uh, rode my bike across America, raising money for veterans charities in 2013 to 14. And currently, I am in Salt Lake City training for the Paralympics, hoping to make that uh, in triathlon. Wow, so that's uh, quite a list of achievements for, for anybody. Um, it's not bad. Yeah. yeah. I do okay. Yeah, so what, you know, one of the things that that's always impressed me, uh, you know, just training with you in the gym is that you, uh, and I see this a lot with the military guys. You just have this ability to, when it's time to work, you're on it, and you're, and you just get, <clears throat> sorry, you just you just get stuff done, and don't uh, you don't make up excuses. It doesn't matter how you're feeling when you walk in that day. <laughs> You just get the work done. Is that something that's taught to you in the military? Because I just kind of see that mindset with a lot of the military guys. Uh, or is that just something that, you, that you've developed on your own? I think uh, yeah, I probably just learned, I probably learned that a lot in the military. I don't think they actually sat down in a classroom and wrote on the chalkboard, this is how you do that. But uh, it's just the nature of 
you know, being in the military, you never really want to wake up at two o'clock to go walk around and, uh, in the, in the pitch dark and, you know, all that stuff and don't necessarily want to put your gear on and that kind of thing, but it's kind of what you have to do in order to accomplish what your mission or your goal. So it's kind of the same thing in the gym where I'm trying to make the Paralympics. So I got to come in and put the work in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, one of the things that I love about training at Jim Jones is that it's, they just want you to be strong, not with no qualifiers, like the women there, they don't want to be, they don't want the women to say they're strong for a girl. They want them to be strong. Like you want to be strong. You don't want to be strong for, you know, for a guy that's, that was wounded in combat. You just want to be strong. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, I think if you kind of put your injury or put your limitations on a pedestal, then it kind of becomes what you are instead of kind of just trying to be a strong person in general. I mean, I just, I just did the Marine Corps marathon and a lot of people before it's funny because a lot of people, even like my, my own coaches before I told them I was going to go do it. And they're like, Oh, you've been training for a marathon. It's like, well, no, I haven't really been training for a marathon. I've just been doing my triathlon stuff. And I figure that'll probably be good enough. And they're like, Whoa, well, you sure that's a good idea? I mean, it's a long way, but Maximus, uh, Rob McDonald is the only one that just said, Oh yeah, you'll be fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just a different, uh, it's a different attitude in there. Yeah, for sure. And that's, you know, that's what I love about it. Um, and just, you know, I think that's just what training in general that you don't necessarily have to train at Jim Jones to learn that. But I think if you spend any, any amount of time, you know, training at a high level, you just kind of that, like you said, the military doesn't necessarily sit down and, and teach you that mindset of, you know, just get through it. And, you know, let's, let's just do this regardless of this, of the circumstance training kind of teaches you that as well. You know, you still, you may not feel like training that day, but it, you make yourself do it and you get the most out of it. Yes. Yeah, you can, it's the same attitude, no matter where you train really. I mean, everybody's going to have their own specific, uh, methods that they use, but you know, the, the basics are the same and that's just do what you got to do to, to train, uh, what you need to train and fix what you need to fix and then do it consistently. And then that's, that's going to be the same message no matter where you go when you're dealing with, you know, elite level athletics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, one of the things you had told me once what your, what your, your 5k time was. And I was, I was really impressed by that because it's not, it's not a slow time. Why don't you share that with, with people, what you, what you've done a 5k in? Um, see my personal best right now, uh, is 1824, I think. Wow. So down from an 1845, uh, last season or this past competitive season anyway. Yeah, so for you know, for those of, those of you at home that don't run, that's like that's six minute. That's about a, just over a six minute mile average. That's a that's fast for anybody, let alone a guy that's running on artificial legs. So you know, again, that goes back to you know, you're training to be strong, not just strong for a guy that's competing in the Paralympics. I mean, that's I think that's what people don't realize is that. You know the Paralympics and things like that. The the performances that people are capable of are 
really spectacular. I mean, it's, you know, talk about not letting, you know, your circumstances get you down. I mean, those are, those are some really great times. I mean, there's able-bodied people that train year round all their lives that don't run that fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of the reasons that I wanted to do triathlon was because it isn't any different. That is my, my uh, classification category is no different than an able-bodied or any other triathlon, uh, any, any other person running a triathlon. I, I swim, uh, then I get on a regular triathlon bike and then I run. And yeah, I use running prostheses, but, uh, it's the same exact, same exact sport. And so that attracted me to it because I can be just good at triathlon in general. And whereas in rowing, it's kind of, uh, they call it adaptive rowing or para rowing. Mm-hmm. And that's just because you're doing it in kind of a different way. So they limit, they limit you to certain classifications where you can't use, you can only use your arms and back or only your arms. And it's kind of, it's definitely still hard. And I, I think it's still a great sport and the uh, athletes are still you know, putting on great performances, but it just feels a little bit better to do a sport where it's pretty much the same exact thing. Right. Yeah, no, I, to- I totally get that. And, and am I, I mean, is able-bodied a turn? I mean, I guess I should, I should have <laughs> looked this up before we started talking. I mean, how, how is that a derogatory term or is that the proper term or what, you know, how do I, I-, <laughs> I don't, I don't know to be honest. It's, <laughs> There's terms uh, people throw around. Able-bodied is probably what you hear. Um, I guess it's kind of hard. What, what is able-bodied? You know, I, right. my I'm I'm pretty. I'm probably more a lot more able than a lot of people are. So you know, somebody might meet, call me able-bodied, but I guess it's one of those things where there isn't a perfect term for it. So just kind of have to say something, and everybody kind of knows what you mean. And when I say able-bodied, I mean people without disabilities. Right. And then if I'm going to talk about myself or somebody else with a disability, I'll just say disabled, even though I don't really totally agree with that uh, terminology. Right. Okay. Makes sense. What you have to, you have to have think of some word to describe what, you know, in order to communicate your ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, I guess it's better, better than most and, but probably not perfect. <laughs> yeah, you know, or you know, physically challenged is one of them. That's, okay. that's probably a little bit more accurate. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, you know, I've seen, you know, I've trained with you, and I wouldn't say you're, uh, I wouldn't say you're giving up a whole lot to anybody in the. <laughs> in the... Yeah, exactly. Everybody has, you know, if somebody has a knee that hurts, that's I say that's classified as a physical challenge too. So you know, sure. <laughs> right. You know one one of the line I was. Going, I was on your website, and uh, one of the one of the phrases, one of the things that you wrote in your blog, really stood out to me. Um, that really kind of summarizes kind of that what I think, or you know, why you're so successful and why you've been, you know, you're such a you know a figure for for the community, um, you know, for the veteran community and the you know the Paralympic community. And that's the I'm reading. The, I'm going to read this directly from your blog. So, okay. Um, having one's legs amputated above the knee is categorically a negative experience. <laughs> if I hadn't had the right mindset afterward, the rest of my life could have also been a negative experience. Uh-huh. I, mean, I mean, that talk about that a little bit more. Cause I, t- to me, that's, that sums up like 
every single self-help seminar, every Tony Robbins book, every, every (laughs) every single self-help guru out there. I mean, that just distills it down to, you know, its essence. If only a book uh, could be two two sentences. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was, I think I was just talking about, yeah, just the, having the right mindset uh, when you're approaching like negative energies that come your way or negative uh, experiences that come your way. And, uh, I, th- I think what I'm trying to say there is figure out some kind of way to use it to your advantage. And if you do that, then there's really nothing stopping you from having a good life. And if if you if you let the negative energy affect you in a way that you become a negative person and you let it kind of beat you down and just weigh on you, then this is going to snowball and you might become bitter or depressed and the rest of your life is just going to be a bummer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just don't see what the point of that is. I just think that, uh, you just have to have the right mindset and then just try and have as good a life as you can and work towards that and figure out a way to do that. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. I mean, that's, you know, in my own in my own racing and so forth, I've uh, I've always done really well when the conditions are really bad. So yeah. like snowstorms, rainstorms, and stuff like that. Because to me, I look I I always viewed it as an opportunity to and and have been able to beat guys that normally you know beat me in good conditions. Because so many people when you know they wake up in the morning and they've got a race that day and it's snowing or something, they just immediately start this spiral of Oh God, it's going to be cold. It's not going to be that much fun. And, you know, and they just psych themselves out before they even get to the starting line. Yeah. Some people just give up because of that. And they're, they don't actually give up, but they kind of accept that they're going to lose because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that carries over to a lot of things. People do it in, you know, in their personal relationships, they do it in business, they do it in athletics. I mean, it's just, you know, the, you know, as our uh, mutual mentors constantly says, the mind is primary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I was out uh, a couple of days ago. It was raining, and I needed to do some running intervals. And I didn't know it was raining until I got outside. And I saw it was raining. I'm just standing there on my staircase, like thinking, trying to think of a reason why I shouldn't, or why it's okay that I didn't, that I wasn't gonna go run. Mm-hmm. And then. I just walked up the stairs and I went out and did a PB on that workout. So nice, you know, so you just kind of have to try and use, try and figure out a way. Like maybe I thought that the rain was going to keep me cooler so I could run a little bit faster. You know, you never know. It's like, think of something. I think, uh, you've read that book, uh, assault on Lake Casitas. I have not. Oh, well, yeah, you should read that book. It's, uh, by Brad Lewis, a uh, uh, gold medalist uh, rower in 1984. And he just talks about at one point how he was just talking about his, his races. And one of the races, there was a headwind. And he was like, in the in the book, he just kind of says, oh, it was a headwind. And that was good because of this and this and this. And he said, it could have been a tailwind too. And I would have thought of a reason why that was good for us. So you just kind of have to think of a reason why whatever conditions are good for you and and then use that. 
Yeah, you know, I, I love that story because it's, uh, you know, that's kind of how, uh, you know, I've always approached that as well. It's like if I can think of one good reason why I should go out and train or race or whatever, it doesn't matter if there's a million reasons why I shouldn't. As long as I can think of one good reason, then I'm out the door and I'm, yeah. I'm going to do it. And, you know, and honestly, you know, like, I mean, there are days where, you know, I just kind of get in that negative headspace and I can't think of a good reason, so I just don't you know, I blow it <laughs> off that day. And I'm sure, you know, everybody, yeah, you're everybody never, does Nobody's going to be 100% perfect all the time, you know. Yeah. Um, but as long as you can get as close to 100% as you can, that's what you're, that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, so. Maybe Maximus is 100% all the time. I don't think I've ever seen him. No, he did a bunch of bench press after a twenty-hour flight or whatever. So, yeah, he's yeah he's the exception. I guess to, mo- <laughs> to most rules is kind of my my experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you know one of the, one of the cooler things that I mean you've done some pretty amazing stuff, but um, your ride across the country um, that was in like 2013. Is that right? Yeah, it was uh, October 2013 to April 2014. Yeah, so. A, you rode across the country, which, you know, for anybody is a huge accomplishment. Um, but, you you know, B, you raised a ton of money in the process. But you also, you did it over the winter, basically. You did it like the worst possible conditions. Was that, was that intentional or was that just a way for you to test yourself and just make it, you know, that, you know, just set the bar that much higher? Or was that just the schedule that was the schedule you had? Um, I kinda, I'm trying to remember what my thinking was on that. Um, I think a lot of it was I didn't feel like waiting any longer. I, I didn't feel like waiting until spring to start. I just kind of wanted to get going. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also I kind of I knew I needed – I was going to need a good six months because I went from Maine. I kind of went diagonally across. Mm-hmm. So like northeast to southwest, um, and I knew I was going to need a, a long chunk of time. So it's going to be cycling when it was cold at some point, anyway. Yeah. Um. And then, and the reason that I did the kind of diagonal, and I think another reason why I was okay with doing it in the winter was because I was trying to raise money for charities, and I was, I, I kind of wanted to make it a worthwhile endeavor for somebody to think okay i'll I'll donate to that because this guy's cycling 5200 miles when all he has to really do is 3000 mm-hmm. and then he's also doing it when it's you know zero degrees out so if uh he's doing that then i can click a couple times and donate five <laughs> bucks right and then also just because you know if somebody sees that i do all those things maybe that'll motivate them to say well I could probably do whatever this thing is I'm thinking about. If this guy can have, you know, double above knee amputations, cycle across the country and do it in winter and et cetera, et cetera, then, you know what, maybe maybe I can do a 5K, you know, it's whatever they're thinking about doing. Right, right. And that's important, you know, people just have to kind of, you have to kind of meet people where they are and just kind of start start there. I mean, not everybody, you know, is going to go to the Olympics, you know, and and that's fine. You don't need to go to the Olympics to have value in what you do. Yeah, you know? and everybody starts. And I mean, nobody comes out of the womb like being able to run a four minute mile. So right. Everybody starts somewhere. So just start. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just, it's so easy to get caught up in the numbers and caught up with comparing yourself to other people. And that's, you know, that's just a, that's, that's a trap. That's a bear trap that you're going to step in every single time when you start playing that game of comparing your performance to other people. Yeah. Well, there are times that you can, and then there are times that you can't. So, mm-hmm. uh, you gotta be, yeah, you definitely have to be careful about when you're doing it and just accept that a lot of the times these people have been doing something for 20 years or 10 years. So expecting to be as good as them off the couch is not feasible. Right. Right. Just remember that they were off the couch one time and they probably sucked us as much as you. <laughs> exactly. So where where did the, the athletic drive come from for you? Were you an athlete before or was this something that you kind of discovered after you know in your you know in your journey back from you know trying to re- rebuild your life after after you lost your legs? I mean I kind of uh I played sports as a kid and then I was kind of a slow a slow or a, yeah, slow grower in high school, so I kind of moved away from them a little bit. Um, and then when I joined the Marine Corps, I had to be you had to be in good shape for that, for the PFT, and then just you know for all the training and deployments and stuff. So I kind of got back into uh, working out, working out uh, during that time. Shortly after I I joined, and just so happened. You know, 300 came out, and somebody sent me the the link, jimjones.com, and they're like, hey, same last name. That's funny. <laughs> and then it just, so, and then, you know, it kind of worked out that the the website, what they were saying and doing there really resonated. And so I kind of got back into it that way and just as a, a way to prepare for deployments and keep in shape for the Marine Corps. And then when I got hurt, I kind of saw that as an opportunity to – actually be an athlete, a real athlete, you know, an athlete that's training for a sport because I knew the Paralympics existed. So, uh, I kind of seized that opportunity and here we are. Right. So would it be safe to say that you never really realized your full athletic potential, you know, prior to your, your injury? Yeah. Yeah, You know, I don't, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I never would have gone to the Olympics if, you know, if I didn't get hurt, I wasn't, I don't think I was especially gifted in in any kind of sport. You know, I was kind of good at baseball, but not great. And then maybe I could have been a soccer player. I was pretty good at soccer, but you know, I don't. I don't think I was particularly gifted at anything. But uh, I think the reason that I do pretty well in the Paralympic side of things is that there aren't as many athletes in the pool of possible athletes. So I think that kind of makes me seem a little bit better than I actually am. Well, yeah, that's a slippery slope as well, though. I mean, there's a, you know, I, I think you're, I think you're doing yourself a disservice there because I mean, you're like, you know, as we talked about earlier, your, your times, your running times are a good time. You know, they're not world-class for, you know, you're not going to win the, the regular Olympics with those times, but mm-hmm. those are you know, that's a pretty exceptional time. Um, so, I mean, I think that the, yeah, the, you know, the pool maybe may not as, may not be as deep, but you know, you're still, you're, you're at the top of, of what you're doing. And, you know, you're, I know how hard you're working. I'm assuming the guys that you're competing against are working equally as hard. So, well, yeah, there's, there's a, you know, there's like 20 guys in my category. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of guys, they're all working hard and 
I think you're right in that, uh, you know, I do, I put the work in and I, I put a hundred percent effort into everything that I'm doing. Um, and yeah, you know, what I, I guess what I was kind of talking about was just the genetic advantage. I don't think I have anything like that. Um, but you know, that only gets you so far. And then the, the work is what really gets you the rest of the way. And I think that that's what makes a, a good athlete is whether or not how hard they can work. Yeah, no, I would, I would agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, you know, in my sport of, you know, cycling there, it's kind of a sport for mutants at the highest level anyway. <laughs> um, and I, people that know, can be bored for hours and hours at a time. Right. <laughs> and you know, I've seen a lot of guys that had, you know, unbelievable gifts and, you know, talents that just never went anywhere because a, they either didn't, you know, they, they took, they just relied on their natural talent and didn't really do the work or, you know, usually the bigger cause of them not reaching that was they just didn't have the mindset. You know, they were just, they were just fragile. They, <laughs> for lack of a better word, and yeah, you know, so that's uh, that's the component that I think a lot of people don't realize and don't understand. You know, even at even at the highest level, I mean, if you look at you know, like the use like the Boston Marathon for example, I mean, the the top. 10, 15 guys physically, there's not a whole lot separating those guys. Those guys are all like at the, the very top of the food chain and the very top of what's, you know, physically possible as a human. And it really just comes down to, you know, the guy that wants it the most and that, and, you know, in situations like that and, you know, and, and the guy who's doing, doing the smart work and the good work. Yeah. And then obviously the genetics come into play a little bit more when everybody's working smart and hard, but, uh, I think there's probably always one guy that either works just a little bit smarter, a little bit harder, or races a little bit smarter than the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I go back to cycling cause it's the sport I know, but, um, you know, he's kind of a four letter word these days, but you know, Lance was a good example of that. Yeah. You know, it, by all accounts, you know, his big rival during his heyday was Jan Ulrich. And by all accounts, Ulrich was like the most gifted cyclist ever, ever born. But, yeah. you know, Lance managed to beat him, you know, seven times in a row. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a lot of people don't like that he used uh, performance-enhancing drugs. But that doesn't uh, take away from the fact that he worked his ass off. Yeah, he still did the work. And, you know, I'm not going to excuse, you know, what he what he did necessarily. But... I mean, really, he was the best guy because all of those guys were doing the same. You know, as far as the doping, they were all doping. They were all dirty. You know, if you want to, I don't. I, I don't even know if calling them dirty is because it was such a pervasive thing, and it was just the culture of the sport. Yeah, the, that's the, the thing. The you know, I don't. Uh, I don't condone not following the rules of your sport that you're participating in. Um, so he was definitely in the wrong there. Yeah, and I don't know about all the other. You know, people are say that he was a jerk and ruined people's lives. I don't really know a whole lot about that, so I can't comment on it. But, you know, if uh, if everybody else was – everybody else is doping and then you do the same thing, then I don't think like kind of from a moral perspective that I would really be too upset about that. No, it's definitely – you know, it's – I don't know the guy either. I can't say if he's a jerk or not, and I'm not even going to speculate on whether he is. But yeah, I don't know. You know, he did what he did, and you know, he he beat the best guys. You know, and that and that's, well, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's the thing too. If like if he was doping so much, 
it's not like he was beating people by 30 minutes. It was still pretty close. And so if he was, you know, hopped up on EPO or blood doping or whatever, and they were still keeping up with him, that kind of says something too. Right. Right. So, yeah, but just, uh, you know, going back to, you know, your, your ride across the country, cause that's, that's the one that totally captures my imagination. <laughs> what were, uh, what was the biggest challenge? I mean, what was the biggest challenge of that? Was it just the cold or just the day after day of having to get out there and do it? Um, yeah, I mean, probably the com- combination of those two things to getting after having to do it day after day while it was freezing cold, um, uh, was not easy. And, um, I didn't really have too much of a problem actually getting out there doing it. Um, you know, I I trained for the Paralympics, so I was kind of used to going out and, you know, being uncomfortable for a long period of time. Um, but I would say, you know, having to deal with traffic and uh, uh, going through towns and stuff, because I'm not, I'm not the fastest at you know, clipping out and I, you know, when I ride a bike, there's certain considerations that I have to take into account. Like I can't get started again going uphill. So if there's a stoplight going uphill, mm-hmm. I kind of have to either choose to run the light or try and figure out a way to time it perfectly. Or So from a practical perspective, that was kind of the most difficult thing. Yeah. But luckily for me at the same time, I, uh, yeah, every pretty pretty frequently I would have police escorts or some kind of motorcycle escorts that didn't mind, even though you know they're not really authorized to block intersections. They did it anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but then from a physical perspective, I think probably just going from Colorado or Central Colorado to the coast was probably just because there are so many. Well, see, I don't know if that was any harder than like Virginia to. Western Missouri because it was just so up and down and up and down. I would say probably that area might have been even worse just because I was expecting it to be <laughs> flat. Yeah. I thought once you got past the Appalachian Mountains, it was a pancake until you got to the Rocky Mountains. But that shows how much I knew about you know my geography at the time. It was man, it was just so frustrating to be up and down, and then. Uh, I didn't realize that Nevada had so many mountains either. So that was kind of, I figured Nevada was going to be flat. So, and then <laughs> going through Nevada and it's like, uh, you know, Colorado and Utah, they have pretty, you know, pretty steep stuff, but it's relatively shorter. Uh-huh. Uh, like Monarch Pass is nine miles of so 6%. So it's, it's tough. Um, but you know the Nevada stuff is tough in another way because it's it just lasts for you know thirty kilometers at a time. You're just constantly going up, and then the wind is blowing in your face. And I'd be I get so frustrated with that. I'd be screaming at the wind when I was riding, <laughs> <laughs> be cursing the wind down. And so, yeah. I, yeah, it's hard to say what was tougher. But uh, it's pretty much so. What I'm basically what I'm saying is the whole country was the toughest part. Yeah. <laughs> Everything between Bar Harbor and Camp Pendleton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe not. Maybe riding down the coast of California was was difficult, but it was not as hard just because I was so close. Yeah, yeah. And then you ended up raising one hundred and twenty six thousand. 
Yeah, 126. That wasn't just me. You know, it was. Uh, I had a, a a group of people that were uh, calling ahead uh, in front of me and that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they did. They helped out a lot too. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without my brother following me on the truck either. So, it's yeah. kind of a a group a group effort, as always. Yeah. Yeah, well, that you know, and that brings up another thing that I want to talk to talk with you about, and kind of share with the listeners is, you know, you work with several coaches, I guess, at this point uh, to to be better at, at your sport. So you you know, you're at you're training at Jim Jones and Rob Rob and Mark obviously play a big role in in what you do, um, but you also have you have a cycling and a and a swimming coach and running coach as well, or. Um. I have a swim coach. Uh, his name is Marcel, um, and yeah, he's been helping me out a lot with my swimming. He's a really good, uh, really good coach. Um, you know, Maximus mm-hmm. kind of handles my gym programming and then kind of my uh, my day to day programming. You know, when to cycle, when to run, when to swim, kind of what to do there. Um, I don't have a cycling coach. Um, but you know, Tim, uh, who, you know, I think over at mountain Velo in park city, yeah, he, uh, he helps me out a lot with just kind of the fundamentals of bikes and Mm he, he's helping me out with getting fitted real good. Um, and he's, he's helped me out with, he actually just was able to convince quark to give me a free power meter, um, and get some. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> get some cranks. Uh, get some. Cr- I have to get specially. I use 120 millimeter cranks, so he helped uh, to get get me some custom cut that we sent him. Sent him off to a guy. He cut them and then re-drilled a pedal hole and sent them back and all this stuff. So he's been instrumental in helping me uh, just with like the the biking stuff. Um, and I don't have a running coach uh, just because my run's pretty good. I'm pretty satisfied with it. So I've just kind of been mostly working on my bike and my, my swim. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's that's Yeah, Tim Tim is a great resource for for all things bike. He, he's helped me a lot in, in, as well in terms of fit. And, and yeah, and he's real generous. You know, he doesn't – he hasn't been charging me for fitting me, and I'm sure he'd probably, he could probably be charging me a lot of money for all the hours we've spent together. But uh, you know, just a real generous guy, and fits it in when he can. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's great to work with, and uh, you know, he, a lot of uh, a lot of professional cyclists fly in to to work with him. Cause, so that, I mean, that speaks a lot to what you know what he brings to the table. Yeah, yeah, I'm really glad that I got uh, fixed up with him, and then he actually introduced me to Marcel. So the whole thing has just been a real good experience. Yeah, good. Helped good. me out a lot. Yeah, but, you know, so where I was going with this is, you know, that even, you know, just the importance of having mentors and having, you know, somebody that's kind of objective on the outside to look in and kind of tell you when you're when you're screwing up and, you know, you know, also support you when you're doing well. But, you know, for me, always, you know, having a coach has always been more about um, correcting stuff before it becomes a problem. Uh, you know, that we, we had, you and I talked about this at the gym the other day, like my, this season is, I, you know, I, I self-coached myself and kind of dug myself into a hole when I should have known better. Um, 
And I think it's, you know, a lot of people think they can do it on their own. And, you know, some people can, some people do are very successful, you know, with, without, without mentors and without coaches, you know, whether it's athletics or business or so forth. But I think it's really important to seek out people that have kind of either been where you want to go or, you know, have the knowledge and experience that, that you want to get without, you know, spending the years of getting it. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's a certainly an advantage. I mean, I think that every person eventually should be able to train themselves mm-hmm. and do pretty good at it. I think that's part of development as an athlete. Um, but at the same time, it's also beneficial for you to have somebody that's a coach for you and is can advise you when you're at a crossroads and you're not really sure which way to go or you just want them to check and make sure you've been doing the right kind of thing and and that kind of stuff and then when you're actually working with them they can I think they can like you said be objective so sometimes you might not want to do your last set of something or a last you know interval chunk and you might think of a reason why it's okay, and you'll be like, "Oh, well, I'm just tired, and uh, you know, I need to recover, whatever." Um, and you know, they can also be there to to make you to, to keep you honest. Yeah, keep you honest, and also the thing that I find as well is like when you're when you're coaching yourself, you tend to fall into the trap of doing more of the stuff that you like and the stuff that you're good at. And, yeah. and maybe not do it like, you know, I love, I love to go climb, you know, I could, I could go ride canyons every day and yeah. a lot of, you know, I've spent a large part of the summer doing exactly that, but it kind of also, you know, I didn't work on other things that I should have, should have been working on. You know, my sprint is terrible. always has been. So I've never really enjoyed doing sprint training, but I still, you know, I still have to do it and it's, but it's just so much easier to, you know, rather than ride down, you know, do sprints on Wasatch Boulevard, I can just point my point my bike up a canyon and go. <laughs> yeah, well, they're. Uh, I think when you have a coach, you're kind of being held accountable, so they're telling you to do something, and they're trusting you to do it. So that kind of plays to your your responsibility uh, as a person uh, psychologically. So you kind of feel responsible that you don't want to lie to them, and you want to do right by this person that's helping you. So you're going to do what they're they're suggesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, you know, I know a lot of people, they, they think it's like a sign, you know, you're, it's like a sign of weakness or that you don't know what you're doing to reach out for help. But you know, what I always go back to is Tiger Woods still has a swing coach. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All these guys have, I mean, Mo Farah has a coach. I mean, it's yeah. like everybody, there's always going to be somebody out there that has more experience and, just or just has a different outlook than you do and and that can help you is it's not like it's not like you you suck because you have a coach it's just you're trying to get the best best out of yourself and a lot of the times there's gonna be somebody that can do that for you so i think it's i think it's stupid to i don't want to say it's stupid to not have a coach because you don't always have to have one but I think it's stupid to not have a coach just because you think it's weak to have a coach. Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So Paralympics, where and when are those? Oh, the next one is uh, early September. Um, 
next year, and it's in uh, Rio de Janeiro. This is two weeks after the Olympics. Oh, okay. That's right. yeah. I should uh, I should have known that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's uh doesn't get as much media coverage as uh, the regular Olympics, but it's it's been getting better. You know, I think they're like 2012. They didn't have any coverage here in the U.S., and now I think this a lot of people were outraged and because they wanted to watch it, and NBC wasn't really showing it, and uh, so I think next year they're actually going to have. I don't. I don't know the exact number, but a pretty decent amount of coverage for it. So it's it's cool. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. I mean, it's it's uh, you know it shows people that you know maybe you know that are in that that are in a similar situation you know where they've you know they've been dealt this you know this this card that they never asked for, and to see other people that have overcome that you know that's certainly inspiring and you know certainly opens their you know opens people's eyes to what's possible. But, uh, well, yeah, it's people just getting on with their life. You know what I mean? It's like it's people just accepting the situation and making the most out of it. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what everybody should do. I mean, no matter regardless of whether you've had a traumatic experience or anything, it's just get the most out of your life while you have time. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was just, and that's where I was going to say that. You know, for able, you know, for anybody able-bodied that's watching as well. I mean, it's just. It just teaches you that, you know, to not believe the bullshit story that you're telling yourself. Yeah, you know, it's the same. It's the same premise whether you're able-bodied or disabled, and uh, just the specifics are a little bit different. Yep. You know, I'd say I have to do stuff with prosthetic legs, or I have to strap myself to a pole in order to deadlift, whatever it might be. But the the basic idea is the same thing. Just yep. go out and work hard and. Uh, you know, do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you, uh, do you have any big events coming up between now and the Olympics or any big, um, fundraiser or charity stuff that you're doing that you want to talk about or, um, I did get invited to see, I've never, I've never done a, I've only ever rode my bike like 60 miles and that was coming down off Carson pass in California, which is the really long descent. So I got asked to do, the tour of Tucson, uh, November 25th. And I'm actually doing it in conjunction with the coalition to salute America's heroes, um, which is one of the charities I was raising money for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to do that. I think, uh, people are just going to kind of sponsor however many miles I complete. <laughs> Originally they said, uh, the, the original idea was to, I start at the end and people would donate based on how many people I passed. Oh wow! And I, uh, <laughs> I emailed him. I said, "Well, you know, uh, I think that's a great idea, but you have to realize that I'm a slow biker compared to all these other people. I don't have quad muscles that I can use. So chances are, I'm not going to pass that many people. You're going to be getting like twenty bucks. Right. <laughs> you might want to. Maybe we should retool. Uh, so now it's going to be." I guess it's, I think it's a century ride, so hopefully I'll finish it. I've never done one that long, so we'll see. Um, and uh, yeah, so I guess people are just going to be—I don't have all the details yet, but I think people are just going to be donating based on you know per mile. And I don't—I want to donate like a dollar per mile or whatever, something like that. Okay, will, will there be something on your website about that if people want to go and and learn more? Or? Uh, you know there. 
don't know. There may be. I, I have to get the information myself, too, and I'm still kind of waiting on that. So, um, yeah, I would say just check back maybe later in November, before okay. the, sometime before the 25th, and I'll, I'll try and put something up there once I get the information on how to do it. Okay, cool. And yeah, that's a, that's a great event, by the way. I've, I've not done it myself officially. I've been down there while it's going on and I, I rode portions of it with some friends that were in it, but, uh, it's just a really fun atmosphere and kind of a big rolling party. So I bet it's going to be uh, hilly. Yeah, there's, there's, there's some hills. <laughs> As always, can't get away from it. Some hills, there'll be some wind, uh, you know, the usual suspects will show up for sure. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I've never, like I did the marathon, uh, a week ago and I felt pretty confident about doing that, even though I never ran a marathon, but century ride is, uh, it might take me a good I don't know, 10 hours or I don't know. I don't, I've never done anything for that long. So, well, yeah, we're going to have to see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just one, one mile after the other. I, 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 I think you're, you know, like, like Rob said, yeah, it's going to be no problem. I, I, I don't think you're going to have a problem. It'll be, you'll, you'll have fun and, uh, you know, you definitely have the mindset. So it's, uh, well, going to find out either way. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Cool. Well, cool. So, um, people want to learn more about you and what you're up to is, uh, your website, robjonesjourney.com, the best place to do that. Yeah, that'll be the best place. And then also, you know, the, uh, I think in the contact page, there'll be, uh, you know, social media links there. Okay, great. So, you, you know, so you're on, you're on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and all that fun stuff. Yeah, I'm all over that. So yeah. <laughs> Maximus just got me into Instagram and I'm not really much of a picture taker, but he said it'd be a good idea, so uh, I'm gonna try and try and take some pictures of myself. I guess yeah, <laughs> it's hard it, to do when you train. That's the that's the one thing when you're training by yourself all the time. It's like how do you? I can't take a picture of myself while I'm running or riding my bike. So <laughs> <laughs> right, <laughs> I figure out ways to do that. <laughs> yeah, Instagram's fun. I, I like Instagram because it's just it's simple. You just put up a picture, put up a caption, and then you know people kind of can interpret it the way they want and. Uh, yeah, you know, Facebook for me involves a lot of drama these days, so I, I'm kind of staying away from Facebook. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll just tell people what I'm up to, and then that's about it, pretty much. I don't really, I don't usually spend a whole lot of time, you know, arguing or anything like that, like people like to do. Yeah, yeah, I get sucked into that trap, and I just, I, you think I'd learn, but I'm not, I'm not <laughs> the sharpest tool in the shed sometimes. <laughs> so you, you just have to try and catch yourself as you mindlessly scroll through Facebook, and you're like, oh, geez, I've been doing this for 10 minutes. i got to read a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Something. Just catch yourself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, cool, Rob. I want to definitely want to be respectful of your time, and uh, you know, I certainly thank you for for taking the time and speaking to to me and, and our audience. Um, you know, you, I've uh, I've really enjoyed watching you train at the gym. I, you know, it's it's you bring a lot to that to that family, and uh, you know, I, I hope to, I'm looking forward to see what you're what you do at the at the Olympics and and further on down the road. Well, I appreciate that, man, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the gym on uh, Tuesday, maybe. Yeah, I'll I'll be there for sure. But, All right, thanks a lot for uh, inviting me to be on here. Yeah, thanks, and uh, I'll put links up to your sites and uh, into that book you mentioned, uh, 
Lake Casitas book and, and yeah, so Salt forth. on Lake Casitas. It's a, it's part of the. Uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, gone to the the knowledge article on Jim Jones' um, recommended reading list. Yeah, that, that put together. I think it's yeah, the, there. the name, the title's familiar, and I just uh, it's. I've got a, such a big list of books that I'm trying to get through and get to. <laughs> hey, yeah, it's well. The, uh, luckily for you, this one's a quick read. It's uh, it's not super long, and it read. You know, it's kind of one of those things that you can't put down. Nice, nice. All right, I will. Down, I'll put that on my Kindle tonight. Actually, so. <laughs> yep, it's on Kindle. So. Awesome. I've been trying to. I've been tr- trying to convince Brad to. Uh, do an audio book because I like audio books, but uh, he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Audio books. I'm a big fan of audible myself, but um, yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, for, again, for people check out uh, Rob's website. He, there's, he's been involved in some great documentaries and uh, Oh, you know, the one thing I wanted to ask you, um, I have not had a chance to see the documentary you did with uh, Zach Galifianakis and all the other comedians and so forth. Um, which, which of, which, what's more scary getting, getting up in front of a, a group of people and, and trying to make them laugh or, uh, you know, riding, riding your bike across the country, <laughs> <laughs> man, <laughs> uh, I'd say probably, probably the riding the bike, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was sitting there in Maine. We're like, Oh man, I got to do this tomorrow. And, I don't know what's going to happen. It's like this big unknown of 5,000 miles. Who knows what's going to happen? And uh, I haven't really ridden a bike all that much. And well, it's, uh, there's a, looks like there's a lot of traffic lights and a lot of cars. I don't know. But then when I when I did uh, stand-up comedy, I'd be nervous for the last 10 minutes before I went on stage. But then once I got up there, it kind of went away. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Comedy Warriors is the name of that healing through humor. And you, you said it is available on, on Netflix. So I'll be watching Yeah, that. Netflix instant streaming. Uh, and I think you can rent it on Amazon and buy it on Amazon if you feel so inclined. Okay, cool. Cool. And yeah, that's uh yeah, you had some big names on it. Lewis Black, Zach Galifianakis, BJ Novak, Bob Saget. That's uh yeah. Yeah. That's... A lot of, uh, a lot of people were instrumental in that. It was a really good experience. Yeah. I had to do that while, they were filming that while I was training for the 2012 Paralympics, so I'm just I'm just thankful that uh, you know the two times that I went out to Los Angeles didn't take away from rowing training too much. <laughs> it was hard to balance the two things because those are two things that you know I think after I'm done being an athlete, I might you know try and do stand up comedy. So those are definitely two two huge opportunities for me that I had to try and balance, and luckily it worked out pretty well. That's awesome. <laughs> Cool. I'll well, we'll look for you at the comedy store. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, there's, the there's a club. There's a club around here. Uh, I forget the name of it, but uh, yeah, there's a couple clubs around here. So maybe you'll see me out there. Yeah, there's that one. There's one at Trolley Square, and then there's I think there's one out in West Valley. There's a couple around here. Yep. Yep. So cool. Well, that's awesome. I look forward to that. Well, well, dude, thanks so much for your time. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'll see you on Tuesday. All right. Sounds good, man. I'll see you. All right. Later.